0: All right, say welcome. Welcome to the show. <laughs> show. Welcome to the show. And the name. The name of the show is. Welcome to the very first episode of the Hurry Up The Cakes podcast. I'm I'm so glad you're joining us, or you're joining me today. I, I wrote over on hurryupthecakes.net about how I really wanted to do a podcast, so now here we are. Thank you so much for joining me. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and pretty much any podcast player of your choosing. So anyway, I consider this, this podcast a passion project more than a vanity project. You know, I, I have... I have other avenues already to satisfy my craving of attention and applause. But but if you do want to give feedback about this show, you can hit me up on Twitter at Mikey Lurian, Instagram at Mikey.Lurian, on Facebook at HurryUpTheCakes, and even on the website at HurryUpTheCakes.net. So I, I did this podcast, or I'm doing this podcast because I wanted an excuse To talk to people I like and respect and maybe people I don't get a chance to talk to as often as I'd like to. I also wanted to talk about things I care about. Like things that I consider to be important in my life. And I wanted to explore these things. In some cases, I wanted to talk with someone so that I can say what I feel about these things. In other cases, I wanted to learn more about these things. For today's episode, I wanted to talk about teaching. Specifically, the role of a teacher. You see, I, I, I didn't plan on becoming a teacher. I, I'm a third-generation teacher. My father was a teacher. My, my grandmother on my mother's side was a teacher. But I didn't grow up thinking I wanted to be a teacher. But here I am now, and teaching is one of the pillars that form my identity. And it's something I deeply care about. At the same time, the role of being a teacher in general is in such turmoil nowadays what with the circumstances brought about by COVID-19 and the various challenges of governments practicing quasi-fascism all over the world. And uh, I needed to make sense of this. So the perfect person to talk to is my very first guest, Mr. David Esteban. David is the deputy head of school in the organization I work for. He has been my writing partner, my directing partner for our theater program. He's a heck of a teacher, and I consider him a mentor and a friend. I figured he's the guy I can talk to to help make sense out of all of this. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with Mr. David Esteban.
1: I was just listening to a Bill Simmons podcast, and mm-hmm. he was talking about like having listened to one of his first podcasts, mm-hmm. before it was even called The BS Report. It was mm-hmm. called, I don't even know, man, something like Thoughts of the Sports Guy or something like that. With ESPN um, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was saying that it was awful. He hated it, <laughs> right? <laughs>
0: I, I, I don't yeah. think you will look at your performance, performance, I'm saying performance, but performance today uh, without fondness. I think this will be fun to listen to. Um,
1: totally. But four, four episodes later, he had David Stern, so you never know.
0: <laughs> that's cool. You never know. You know, I might, I might grow big. So just to tell you a little bit about what, what this is about, one of the things I wanted to do was, I guess, talk to, talk about things that I I care about. Like, uh, and, and then talk to people who are not necessarily the same as me, but people who also care about those same things. And sometimes it's because I want to communicate something about the thing I care about, but other times it's because I just want to learn about what I care about more. And, I guess for today the reason I invited you aside from I like you and respect you and you're nice is, is <laughs> thank you. Yeah, is you're, we work together. We we work together in a school or right. we teach. Teaching is our work. And you know this as teachers we we don't really get time to like stop and breathe a bit and talk about what we do. We just have to do it every day until yes. the end of the year. I mean, literally for us, until the end of the school year, because even at the end of the school year, the, the week after graduation, we went back to work, training back and preparing. Training. And so
1: much year. happens over the holidays. I mean, like, as you know, during the summer holidays, that whole myth of getting the summer holidays off, not true. <laughs> it's not true. I mean, that, that's when we you know, had the opportunity to, to review and revise our own work. Right. You know?
2: Yeah. And,
1: and um, yeah. yeah, we have so much, to review and revise going forward in 2020. Oh God! You know, yes. Starting this school year.
0: Yes. I mean, you know? we always have something to revise, but this year there is yeah. a lot for us to do. Exactly. Yeah, so I'm so I'm carving out this space for us to stop and breathe for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I mean, of course, if we end up talking about work. Uh, let's see. I don't know. But I mean, I just want to talk about like big idea stuff and big umbrella stuff for why we do what we do and why you do what you do. So I was going to, I guess I, I want to start by asking you, can you tell me a little bit about like your journey as a teacher?
1: Like, did you always envision yourself as a teacher? No, no. I, I grew up in a school, right? So my mom uh, founded a preschool and, and it was in our house. Right, so we had a we we had a a house, and at one point when I was really young, uh, we had two houses next to each other, and they were they were both a school, right? They were both Um, a school. Like the house next to us was a full-on school, but the house that I lived in was also a school. It's all a preschool. Wow. And I um I I'm the youngest of six kids, so (laughs) I my my room was the basement and it was right next to like sort of so the window was sort of at like eye level to the ground right right and looking out my window it was the ground level of a playground right so the garden our garden was a playground and next to it was um were some preschool classrooms and so um you know growing up I, of course i went to that school and all of this and i was late every day
0: because, you, were, you know in your in, in the school
1: <laughs> Where you lived, <laughs> you were late every day. Exactly. I was late every day because I would watch Good Morning Manila. It's an old show from like, I'm, eight, I'm dating myself, but <laughs> I loved that show. I love Good Morning Manila. You got your news. So I'd hang out with my mom or dad before they uh, went to work and I'd watch Good Morning Manila. And then I'd, then I'd go to school. And, um, and eventually, I got completely fed up with, with anything that had to do with school, right? Because I was living next to one. So I especially during summer, you know, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd hear the bear went over the mountain. You're familiar with the song, right? Yes. So it's like the bear, the, mountain, the bear went over the mountain, the bear went over the mountain, the bear went over the mountain to see what he could see and all that he could see and all that he could see was the other side of the mountain, the other side of the mountain. <laughs> it's like a, an exercise in futility. <laughs> right. Right? <laughs> was so, so anyway. How, how old were you
0: all- when, when this occurred to you?
1: <laughs> young.
2: I was well, young. That's
1: uh, Literary I don't know,
0: that's young. skills very early for you.
1: Maybe, I know, maybe, uh, yeah, an adolescent, you know, I don't know. But I remember thinking it very early. So all my, but meanwhile, all my friends would tell me, you know, David, you'd be a really good teacher, you know, and I was like, what? No way, man. My mom's a teacher. My (laughs) sister's a teacher. My other sister's a teacher. My other sister's a teacher. (laughs) I don't want to be a teacher, you know? And uh, to add it to that, I uh, was diagnosed early as having dyslexia dysgraphia, which is, um, particular situation so dyslexia many people know about that it's um sometimes in, in my case what it what it would happen was aside from the letters sort of switching place double letters and, and things like that would kind of bleed into each other right right or double so this was especially difficult for maths when you're doing long division long multiplication um and then it's compounded by dysgraphia where uh you're not able to draw what you see in your mind Mm-hmm. right so uh so i'm not able to draw exactly what i see in my mind right so which means my handwriting is messy and yucky so you combine that with dyslexia so i have bad handwriting and i don't read well to begin with i created some problems and what made it worse was that nobody told me i had it right and oh. so the school that wasn't our school it wasn't we uh, when i was in uh, grade school through to high school uh, the school that i went to nobody told me that i had dyslexia dysgraphia and it seems like nobody told my teachers either because the narrative or what i kept on hearing was oh david you know you're you're smart you know you you know you score high in the iq test type stuff and you um, know a lot of trivia i suppose but i don't perform well because i'm lazy so uh, and careless Right, that's what was told to me, Hmm. and so um, so I was really frustrated as a student, very very frustrated, all the way through to university. And um, wait, so the whole time
0: until university, you didn't know you had dyslexia
1: dysgraphia? Yeah, I didn't know until um, after university, when I was cleaning out my room, you know, um, I found this old report. Holy cow! Yeah, I was like, what's this? You know, and so I finally. Realized I had that issue. And started, things started to make sense to me. Like, um, I remember once in grade four, I was um, it was an English class and I had to spell the word pineapple. And I couldn't spell it. And the problem was I couldn't spell apple. I, I had no idea. I could not. I did not know if there was a double P or a single P in it. Right. Wow. And like, if you think about it, apple is probably one of the first words right. <laughs> in preschool that you end up seeing. Yeah. Right. But I I could not for the life of me, you know, and spell it with 100%, you know, like I know it's a double P. And so, yeah, I remember crying in class in grade four and really frustrated with myself as well. You know, my teacher was also kind of, you know, I went to a very strict school and this was a very strict teacher and so it didn't make it a very, it wasn't a very good experience. And so, um, yeah, so I was also really frustrated with myself. And so I kind of checked out of schooling kind of early, you know, like by the time I was in high school, I kind of was, I was very frustrated with uh, my performance in school. And also the kind of school I went to also the feedback they'd give my parents, for example, with that. Oh, David asks too many questions. Oh, that's right. Are you serious? (laughs) Yes. Sorry.
0: That's insane to me. That sounds.
1: Right. Yeah. Completely different from uh, the way that we do things. Right. Right. That's and insane. so and so all of this kind of i, I to summarize it you know all of this is why i'm passionate about education now right. right so when i uh what i i so i checked out of schooling wasn't into it uh and i started luckily i was blessed by the fact that my mom had a school and so we had a fantastic library at home we had all the great books we had you know different encyclopedias. We had we had fantastic resources. This is before the internet, right? And so I just read a lot. Now, the particular dyslexia I have, for some reason, you know, okay, you know here's interesting. You know how I found out I had dyslexia? Before, uh, before I found, like, around the same time as I found that piece of paper, oh. I, I was reading a book. I was reading Captain Carelli's Mandolin. And the lead character in the book, her name is like Pelagia or something. And it's a strange name. And I finished the book and I loved it. And um, I was trying to remember, I was t- telling somebody about it and I couldn't remember the name of the main character. And I had just read the book. So I was like, oh my God, I know the shape of the name, wow. but not the name. And so that's when I realized, okay, so the, my, the way I cope is I, I look at the shape of words right. and then a lot of context clues, right? So, so, so I'm able, I was able to read a lot. And so I, I kind of took my education into my own hands. And so on the plus side, I learned how to learn, right? And eventually I ended up doing my master's and knowing what I knew about myself already at that point. uh, When uh, I I finally excelled in a school system, it was also an Australian school system. And that uh, I did my MBA with University of Western Australia Mm -hmm. and the teachers loved it when I asked questions. (laughs) You know (laughs) what I mean? That's kind of how it's supposed to be. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We had great discussion in class. And, um, uh, and so that kind of changed my whole perspective about education. Um, at that point, I was working in sales, right? So I had not been teaching, but I had been um, doing corporate training. And I realized I was good at it. You know, like but, I enjoyed it and people learned. What
0: kind of corporate so, training were you, were you doing?
1: Uh, a range of different things um, sales training um, uh, with my now wife Donna, um, we were also involved in health and wellness training, so right. using yoga uh, as a way to calm your calm oneself you know dealing with stress at the point of stress right right um, and then using improv uh uh, being able to develop positive communication strategies you know in teams um, create creative collaboration so um, it, that type of stuff
0: so at this point you had began, uh, you had begun excelling in in an academic setting already and you're doing this corporate training stuff. And then yes. did, was there a switch that flicked where you're like, oh, I can parlay this into the classroom or were like, S- I'm interested in teaching young people now because if I, if I have this gift, is that,
1: is that? Yeah, no. Oh my God. I love it. Right. Yeah. So, oh my God, I, I, I really love it. And, um, and then I started thinking about the other things I had done. Right. So from an early age, I was um not early age. Like, but in high school, I had been writing um some plays And I was a bit of a, a, I was very involved in church and Mm -hmm. I would help out with workshops. And then um, we ended up doing an improv play in college. At that point, um, nobody else was really doing improv here. And Mm -hmm. so uh, everything I learned about improv, I learned from a couple of books and I was able to basically train my cast in improv, right? And so, um, and so, oh, hey, I'm pretty effective teacher (laughs) (laughs) and then um and my brother who was then working with my mom's school uh invited me to come work with the organization and so they invited me to come in to teach literature and even when i was not doing well in school i always did well in literature
0: right right right. that's it's it's so see i didn't know this like i've known you we've been friends for a while now and we've worked together for a little longer than that, but we, we, we became friends pretty soon after. Um, we started working together, and I never knew yes. how superhero origin your story sounded. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know? I mean, there's all. Well, we write our stories, right? So you right. can tell I love literature because my narrative is so well fleshed <laughs> out.
0: <laughs> well, I, I guess I, I never knew this too. So y- yes, you're right. It's very, very literature teachery of you. But it's so, to, 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 I guess to express it the way you did, you know, it's, it's, I, I, it's I, I know that this is not a story you've told, this is not the first time you've told this story, but this is the first time I'm hearing it. And it's so, it's so interesting to me that first, I didn't know that you had two houses and both houses were schools. That, to me, that's... I
1: you for a little while. <laughs> but, but still we one home, and then, we, then I was really in that school in that house it was the same banana yeah, it's yeah.
0: That, there, there was no compartments. you know your home is the school I mean if you had two yeah. school, two houses one is the school that's like a little bit like you can go to the school and then come back but exactly. the, the, I guess the, <laughs> the it's so <laughs> funny to me that you lived in a school it's one of two things you're either going to fall in love with it or you're you're going to be late every day and of course you were the kind of student who was late every day (laughs) and the other thing was i i did not know i want to ask you about this but i did not know that you didn't know that you had dyslexia dysgraphia so yeah uh, sorry i guess this is not uh we're we're deviating from the track here a bit but it's it's so interesting to me that what was the conversation like when you discovered? It? I mean, it's so dramatic. By the way, you're telling me, it's such a dramatic <laughs> thing. You didn't know. You're frustrated
1: your whole life, and then you're clearing no, but, oh. out
0: your room, and it's like, what's this?
1: <laughs> what's this? Yeah, but it's, but I would, that, that if, the thing is like the frustration that I have, it's not like a burning frustration, right? If you're frustrated with something, you know, for uh, for for years, right? For like twelve years, fifteen years, right? Right of of your life. You know, it's not burning anymore. It's kind of just smoldering. Right?
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? Hopefully, that so sounds like a. You're, that's also because you're very he- healthy mentally. <laughs> I can imagine it not being that that uh, smooth, a lot of people.
1: Yeah, well, for me, it was, it, it, was, it, it was more like, and also maybe I'm not that quick. So it was like, oh, what's this? Oh, what's this? <laughs> Wait a minute. And then, okay. Then I talked to my mom about it. Oh, you knew. Okay. And you told them. Okay okay and that was it <laughs> and that's it, right? that it. <laughs> then like later on like trying to realize oh so that's minute. why this is happening <laughs> oh so that's why this is happening you know <laughs> and and a lot of it really started to click when i finally did well in school right? right because then i was able to have a point of reference right right and i was like okay so now that i know about myself that i now that I know myself that I have uh, dyslexia dysgraphia, I, um, the school I went to as well allowed me to type, right? Mm. Uh, for most of my, most of my uh, assessments, they were mostly papers. So, you know, I was able to use the computer rather than use my hand. And so I wasn't frustrated by the ugliness of my handwriting. Right. Uh, uh, the kind of math that I was doing didn't require long division, long multiplication. I could do it on Excel, right? right? And so I realized suddenly I... I was doing really well in, sub- in subjects like accounting, statistics, and finance, you know. Oh, I have to mention another thing that was interesting, and it also made sense only after the fact, was that my mom, who knew what the issue was, but uh, in a way, I suppose, uh, what, she to- what she did was she made me do Kumon. Okay. And, um, and after doing Kumon, what Kumon does really is it makes you, uh, basically takes the math off the paper and puts it into your mind, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of it's mental math. Um, and then I went from the bottom of my class to the top three of my class in, in math in one year after having done Kumon for a few months,
2: Okay. right? Wow. And so
1: only afterwards is that I realized, hey, that's why <laughs> that happened, right? Mean that happen, right? Um, yeah. Also, the kind of math that we were doing at that stage, uh, we could start using calculators, and it was like geometry, which is a lot of, really more about logic about calculation oh, so you, you didn't
0: do you did kumon when you were younger right not when you're I did, in no, not I did Kuman Kuman when I was grade seven
1: right like grade seven uh grade eight so it's the the, uh, the exactly. moving
0: it away from the paper and moving it from a visual thing to a mental process instead allowed you to be better at it because of yes the...
1: yeah that's so interesting because it's... i stopped i stopped making careless mistakes right did right. your
0: did your mom ever explain why she never told you
1: not really and you know i mean like you have six kids yeah um you know
0: yeah Yeah, but this is your this is a i'm sorry yeah let let me know if we're not if it's a bit much too a bit tricky to talk about for you but yeah it's i mean this is you're also you have a lot you're a person who exercises empathy as often as possible, as much as possible. I know this from you know from work, from being your friend and from working with you for for years now, for a few years now. So this is your empathy working. The the very interesting thing is, whatever contributed to the decision to not tell you if it was an active decision. Like it could, could just be like not an active decision, you know, just she has six kids and she was a teacher and the home was the school. It's a lot. It's a lot. I have one kid and it's a lot, you know, so having, having six is, you know, I I understand how.
1: And this was also the eighties, you know, and like people had different, it's not at all like it was even by the nineties. I guess you're
0: right. Yeah. That's not, that's not a thing I had considered. You're right. Uh, yeah but I, but I was going to say that if it was a decision to not tell you, it seems to have worked out i mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean in the in the superhero arc story of this thing you know, in, the, in the narrative in the origin story because here you are now i mean you're you're also at the point where you're now at the point where you're exactly the person i want to talk about uh, talk to about this this sort of thing like there is a there is um your body of work. And your uh your credibility and your competency to do what you do,
2: uh is pretty
1: high. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty high, pretty great. Uh, one one strength clearly that I know I, I think I have is that I know what it is to struggle as a student. Yeah. So when my students struggle, you know what I mean? Right. I don't necessarily go right into, you know, they're lazy, um it's something the problem is with them necessarily you know what i mean um and so i start thinking about what strategies uh, i can employ to to change the way we're doing things to get a different result you know what i mean because i know what it's like to i know what it's like to not perform yeah you know
0: yeah that's so that's so That's so interesting to me. I I, I should be moving on, but this is a thing that we should should be linking this to the next thing we're talking about. But I just, uh, I guess, uh, just to honor, honor your family and honor your mom, and uh, for for I guess what she's built and uh, and the kind of humans produced by that system and produced by that home, including you, I I think it's pretty awesome that uh, the degree to which you're able to do what you do.
1: And, 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 she, and she did in her way, you know, I mean, she, at that stage, she was a preschool teacher. There was no grade school, high school stuff. Right. And so having me do Kumon, that was a really innovative move on her part yeah. because the, the, at that stage, Kumon was not in English. Yeah. Right. There was another teacher in our village who was, uh, uh, sorry, there was a teacher in our village who was Japanese. And so I was the only non-Japanese speaking student. Wow. I would bike Kumon. And I'd go in, and everybody else was Japanese. The instructions were all in Japanese. Right. You know? And um, so I was the first um, non Japanese student in the Philippines, effectively. That's You know what I mean?
0: Um, um, and you were the youngest. So, but among your siblings, were you the only one at took Uman? Did any of them take
1: Kuman? Yes. Also? Yeah, so, because at that point it was brand new. Right. So this would have been uh, probably 1980, I'm going to say 88, 89. Uh-huh. Maybe earlier. Yeah. Wow. Well wow, yeah. so I guess i would just
0: i the story itself to me is is enough it but i don't it's a heck of a thing to just play on for the rest of this for the show but yeah <laughs> because <but laughs> I, I mean like my story is uh i don't i don't wanna spend too much time on it, but i oh let's hear it I love performing and i love i love. I guess my, my wife will attest to this. I love being the center of attention. <laughs> I, love, <laughs> I love being the most important person in the room or you know, or or being the the, the one who tells the funny stories and whatever. But that also has its own uh, origin story where... For sure. You know, when you're younger, someone else, and then they are made fun of, and then you're made fun of. There's a lot there. But in, anyway, I, the, the context that led to teaching was I love performing, and then I became a theater performer and a workshop theater teacher and that was it. I, I never had any big ideas about education and teaching. And then I accidentally got into teaching when I decided to sell a show to a school. The show that we were doing, I also wanted to sell it. I sold it to a school. The The principal was my former preschool teacher. And then she they needed an English teacher because they hired an English teacher that wasn't working out. And right. And I was like, okay, sure, let's do it. You know, thinking as an actor, you need a side gig because actors totally need side gigs. You can't just be an actor in the Philippines or anywhere, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and then I just found myself here working with you 10 years later. I'm a teacher now, you know? I, like, it accidentally became who I am as it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an integral part of my identity. And, um, yes. but I, on, I feel like I only found myself here. Like it wasn't like uh, I didn't grow up with these big ideas of teaching, and I didn't begrudgingly run away from it or embrace it. It was just kind of there. School was school, but you know, here I am now <laughs> having a podcast and, about teaching. And, you know,
1: yeah, exactly, right. So I mean, um, that's a really that that just goes to show how how much all of us engage with teaching and learning constantly. And right. there are many different paths for us to get to where we go. But also, um, yeah, it doesn't, you know, just because my story sounds like all fancy or whatever, it, it doesn't make it more valid than anybody else's, than yours or anybody else's. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's, it's just another story.
0: Yeah, But I think uh, yeah. in, a, in a universe kind of way, it makes sense that you're the one with that story and I'm the one with this story. Because if I, ha- <laughs> if I had your story, I'd be like, well, you know. When i would totally sell it and, and <laughs> make it like a thing that resonates among people but for you i had to entice you to come on someone else's show to tell the story you know <laughs> so it, it makes sense that you have the character and the the humility and the modesty uh and that that's the story you have because it's a heck of a, heck of a story uh, it and, is cool
1: i have to say yeah and it, and it does drive a lot of my philosophies and I'm, I'm blessed to be in, in an organization where I can talk about policies and philosophies from an organizational level yeah. and have some of them be taken on. And, um, and it's great to see, you so, know, like how, how, how the kids are also falling in love with learning and stuff like that. And that's, that makes me so happy.
0: Let's talk about that. Let's, yes. So you it, it, the story has led you to having a philosophy. You know, having a, can you, can you tell me more about the, I mean, is, is it in the form of a mission vision? I mean, you're very, you did corporate training, so I'm sure that a lot, a lot of your thinking goes into forming yeah. things into that format. You know, there's a, it's a statement. Is there a statement it's for funny. what your yeah. philosophy would be or
1: is? No, well, well, my philosophy, like for me, David Esteban, yeah. it's really, it comes down to accept and build.
0: Okay. Right? improv. I
1: mean, that's what I've, it's, it's improv. Right. It, it, it really does. It comes down to accept and build and it's funny because you mentioned that I do mission visions for others and stuff like that. I, whereas I, I, I do it for others. I don't necessarily do it for every aspect of my life. Right. So for my own self, that's something I accept and build. Whenever I, I find myself doing that, then I'm closest to being my best, you know, version of myself. Right. And so that you can call it philosophy, a mantra even, or just, you know, a code. That works for me.
0: So as a uh, teacher, is that the case also? I mean, is that also where I it, think it, it boils go- down to?
1: Yes. I think across the board, it really worked for me. And it's funny because I, I was on a yoga podcast recently because I'm also a yoga teacher. And um, and they asked the same type of thing about my philosophy or whatever for yoga class. And again, it came down to accept and build. And it's the same thing. So whether you're dealing with, um, whether I find myself dealing with a student uh, who's you know what's their physical condition today yeah. right so we I have to accept that first, and then we can build from that situation into a different situation if we want to go to a different situation or how to be healthier right and the same thing for myself obviously, but also in a classroom so if i have if I have a group of students and I'm trying to talk about say economics right, I have to know what they know, and I have to know what interests them, I have to know where they are in their awareness of you know what is really a complex uh interconnected system, you know, when we talk about an economy, before I know how to bring them along the journey of discovery, you know. Right. So yeah, accept and build really works. But I don't know if I'd call it necessarily like a mission vision. Right, right. Right. Yeah, I didn't yeah. mean to impose that. I just assumed That's that okay. you might because I have a mission vision for the organizations I work with. Right. <laughs> I've helped them come up with those. But, um, uh, yeah, for myself, maybe I should, but maybe, maybe this is the start. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. uh, So given that accept and build is a, you know, it's underrated as a, as a, as a philosophy because it allows you to do anything and it allows you also to have peace, peace of mind. It's the easiest way towards peace of mind. I mean, in terms of what you do, because if if the first word in that statement is accept, you know, I mean, often, very often, the first word for me is resist, <laughs> you know, and then, <laughs> and then eventually accept somehow if you can't you know, do anything. But for you, if the first step is accept, I, I, under, I see the value of it. That's pretty awesome. Can you generalize this into something that, or there are teacher attributes you think that are essential in a teacher I mean, I know, I know that for yourself, mm. for yourself, it's accept and build. And you're very accepting of all the different kinds of teachers you work with, at least from what I've seen. And I know that in our, in, in our context, there are, there, not all of us are the same as a teacher. <laughs> we're, we're all very, yeah. very different. So I, I know that you accept that. But is there, are there like baseline
1: attributes that you think are essential for a teacher? I'm going to say, yeah, um, especially for the kind of organization that we work in. Right, which is the first thing is that we have to be student-centered. Mm. Right, we have to really be focused on you know on the person in front of us. Right. Well. Right. And, yeah. and their holistic kind of help. Not everybody is, huh?
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you because I mean I'm sure every teacher, every single teacher ever in the history of the universe will hear you say this and say I'm student-centered. <laughs> so I, what, what when does I that went
1: mean? To, you're you're from Ateneo as well, right? Yes. Did you catch the old Jesuits? Oh. Uh, what, 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 <laughs> the american jesuits from like you know yeah anyway, i had
0: so, one his name is father roach and uh
1: i remember father, He, i had him for chemistry oh for chemistry are you serious Wait, is that right am not thinking of the right roach well the right father. anyway yeah. yeah So father roach yeah i don't think he liked me very much but anyway um so there, there are two i don't want to say their names right but there are two that fought <laughs> history I just said Father oh, name, but okay, sure. No, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be talking about teaching styles. Okay. And so I don't want to necessarily, you know, right. throw anybody under the bus, although. Um, and they're two completely different teaching styles, mm-hmm. right? So one of them, uh, his teaching style was all he would do is ask questions
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the class would have to answer. And so the whole, they, they would pro- progress in the lesson by it was all him asking questions and different people responding, right? So you have to do your reading ahead of time. And he also taught you how to answer properly. So no answering with a question up, no answering with your tone going up, like you're asking a question when you answered, right? Mm. So that's not allowed, right? So anyway, that was his approach. His best friend taught history as well, same level, and his approach was, I've been doing this for like 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the expert. Right? So, yeah, so I'm just gonna talk, <laughs> and nobody talk right. at all, right? And so um, they're both valid approaches. I mean, they're both, you know, they're both approaches, <laughs> right. but I'm, I admit a bias, right? I'm biased towards the, the first approach of asking questions because it allows for performative assessment constantly, right? You're able to see where the kids are, where the students are, what they know, right? Right. So, and then based on that, you can adjust, you can change course, you can adjust strategy, right? right? If all I'm doing is just talking at people, then they might as well honestly be reading a book. Mm -hmm. In fact, it's better if they're reading a book because at least then they can go back and read a paragraph they don't understand again. Yeah. Right? And, um, or watching a video. And again, a video is better because you can rewind, slow down, speed up, pause. Yeah. So one is very, one was much more student-centered than the other. And I think there are still teachers like that. Right. Yeah.
0: So it's it's teachers like that who are... These are the attributes of what makes a good teacher. Uh, That's in one. Your opinion. That's one, okay.
1: Right. I think another one um, is, I mean, for, for, for the 21st century, I think another key one, this is just what I think, um, is being able to think critically. Right. So the teachers have to be able to think critically because we want to develop critical thinking in the students. And so mm-hmm. if, if teachers don't think critically, what I've noticed as well is that just people who don't think critically don't necessarily take criticism well. Uh, being able to think critically, I think, requires a bit of humility and willingness to change your mind, right? And if we don't model that, then there's no way that our students will be able to get it. Or is, there, there is a way, obviously, but they won't get it from school. They'll get it from home, from television, whatever, if they do get it.
0: So... Okay, so thinking critically in practice, what, what you cited was, I guess, being
1: able to take criticism and and build. That's one there. thing. No, that, that's, yes, that's one thing. Yeah, because well, it goes two ways, right?
0: Yes, definitely. So I was, was going to ask you about the other way. So in practice, what th- that's one way. Are there, h- What does critical thinking mean in practice besides being able to take uh, feedback as a teacher?
1: It, it means being willing to look at, being willing and sometimes actively searching for various perspectives right right and at the end of the day what it comes down to is um being willing to change your mind when confronted with information new information that requires you to change your mind you know so um yeah so we have i think that's important
0: yeah so we have we have uh being pseudo-centered we have critical thinking Sorry, yeah, I'm. I'm just yep. gonna just extract all of this from you <laughs> 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 for very selfish reasons. But you know, that's what I
1: think, man. I mean, mm. is yeah. there are many. I mean, there. I'm sure that people have written excellent papers about this sort of thing. But that's what I yes. think. Yeah.
0: yeah. Okay. So the world, the world is the world, and the world is different now than it was. Well, yesterday the world is different every day, but yes. you know, but there is a there are very specific ways and very significant ways the 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 world is different now than it was months ago. Yeah, you know. So, I mean, I guess moving into that, uh, I was going to ask you: Are there ways to be a good teacher before that are no longer relevant now, or, mm-hmm. or conversely, that are more important now than ever? As we begin talking about, I guess, what yeah. the world is now, no? But I mean, that's changed it. But that sounds like timeless yeah. things. This is in the 90s and the 80s where this was what made an effective teacher.
1: Totally. If you look at it, if you look at what's the purpose of education, why educate? Let's say you're the state, right? Why educate?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's so much easier to have an uninformed population, right? That we can just tell what to do and assign to different jobs. Right. So, therefore, why educate, right? And so, and so the reason for education has all has changed over time. Right? The reason for education has changed over time.
0: You mean the reason for the uh, state to implement education? Or education like as a concept has changed. I guess
1: education as a formal as a formal industry type of thing. Mm. You know what I mean? So like um oh my god, now we're gonna go into history, but I know, sorry. <laughs> Because yeah. I was gonna say, because I'm sure Aristotle and Plato were like, no, it's the same, guys. <laughs> you know, yes, like philosopher yeah. kings. So and like, they might think that, right? I mean, right. yes, kind of, right? And and in many ways, I love that approach, right? But but that's like Aristotle, and Plato was a lot of self-led stuff, wasn't it? Yes. right. They would kind of have a they would have a a class, and if you come to class, awesome. Yeah, right. If you don't, awesome. Right, and you and so people would learn in their own ways. You know, they most of, most of us learn through apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. right in those days most most humans learn from sitting at the knee of their father grandfather uncle and and observing them in their trade and then learning tools of the trade etc right? right and then um and then you had for- more formal schools like like philosophers and stuff like that and those are great right but they weren't they were formal in that the purpose was to explore knowledge
2: mm-hmm.
1: right, but they were not formal in the way that we think of it now, where you had grades grade one grade, two grade three right so these these things of the grade levels i think uh, they kind of if I'm not mistaken, they kind of coincide with uh the industrial revolution right, and right. if i'm not mistaken um a lot of a lot of it might some i know. I should have prepared for this part. I'm so sorry. We could... But bottom line is, yeah. no, it's okay. But bottom line is why, right? So like, I'll just give an example. So for the, the British Empire, for example, why? what were people learning to do? People were learning how to record information and distribute information and process information, right? That's, that's what that school system was focused on. Right? I think Ken Robinson has a really interesting uh, talk where he talks about this stuff, right? Um, but now a lot of that can be done by computers.
2: Yeah.
1: Right. And so um, there's so much more information that's being um, recorded, uh, communicated, and processed now than there ever was before, and most of it is being done without without much human. Uh, intervention right or human agency it's just kind of happening uh because of programs that humans created etc but it's just kind of always happening and so um it becomes more about creativity right and i, I really believe that that that's the most important quality uh that we can develop going forward and it doesn't necessarily have to be creativity in terms of the arts although i love the arts as you know mm-hmm. creativity in terms of problem solving right. right creativity in terms of being able to express yourself differently so that you're understood um i don't know i think i think when it comes down to it i think creativity is really the the key thing that the best education systems now
2: mm-hmm.
1: are are focused on right and, and you see it at the best universities. Uh, the best universities now are valued as the universities that create the most research, right? right? They're able to basically create knowledge. Right. Right?
0: So you, you mean creativity is like creativity as like creativity, not like having a song for a presentation in a group report. You mean like literally uh, producing, uh, producing solutions and producing, producing perspectives and producing knowledge creativity on top of student-centeredness and critical thinking is uh what you would argue is are the most essential things moving forward or i guess in this modern context and by modern context i'm referring to like half the world has to do everything from home now we have fascists all over the place (laughs) I (laughs) i mean this is what i mean by like Now, so I guess uh, time capsule-wise, we're in 2020, it's July, right? So, I mean, I don't know when Max will listen to this and we're old and gray. But, I mean, where we're at now is at a really critical point where there's a pandemic where most of us uh, have to stay at home, have to adjust to staying at home all the time, way more than we ever have in our lives, because going out risks getting sick and getting other people sick. And also, it seems like in what we... from what we see in how we learn things like the media and, the, and social media and journalism, it seems like the world's governments are run by people who don't have the people in their best interests, but have themselves in their best interests. Wild, right? Yeah. So, uh, Crazy. so we
1: got, we got uh student centeredness. We got creative. Well, maybe we can yeah. change student centeredness to empathy then. If Empath- we're dealing with, like, for people in general, mm-hmm. student-centeredness obviously is, like, a way of having empathy if you're a teacher. That's but right. But if, if you're a human, let's just change that to empathy.
0: Right. Well, but in practice, as a yeah. teacher, it's ah, yes. it, it then, would be yes. student-centeredness. Because this is where we're at now. And this is why I wanted to talk to you. And uh, you've given me so much of your time. I'm so grateful. Thank you.
1: Sure. Uh, I, guess I love talking about myself, obviously.
0: <laughs> Not as much as I do. But... <laughs> but no, no, but I, I'm so I'm so glad that you're you're here to talk about this. So, I guess to before we get to like 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 lighter, happier things, I just want to ask. So, is there a way you can sum up what you think the role of teachers
1: are in this context? Got, like 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 for the next few months.
0: Yeah. And and give. I mean, I mean, also considering other contexts like maybe more specific contexts like the terror bill and like how 30 years ago there was martial law and now there's some, there, there seems to be something that looks a lot like it coming in. Yeah, I know. You know, um, yeah. it, I guess here in the Philippines, right? Um, and then there's social media also where, you know, it's just, it's such a wild world. That's so different wild than it world. was when even 10 years ago, it's so different, you know, and certainly from when you were in school as a student and from when I was in school, it's absolutely different.
1: So, yeah, totally the feeling when I was when I was uh, my daughter's age now it was 1987,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it was right after the Edsa Revolution,
2: oh, right? And yeah.
1: democracy was the big thing, yeah. and there were lots of problems, but generally there was a feeling of hope, right? Right? And uh, now my daughter is it, it, it's almost like it's it's going it's it's in the other direction. You know what I mean? She's yeah. a, she's not confident to go outside. You know she she'd rather not. Even if we, I live in a gated village and we're allowed to um, run and bike um, as long as we're wearing masks. And we would rather not, right. right? Just because she's afraid of the virus and just afraid of everything that's outside. Maybe I'm, I don't know, I think it's fine. Maybe it's not completely fear. Maybe it's just a heightened level of concern, let's right. say. But she's not necessarily wrong for feeling that way. Right. That's what that's what media and all of us are kind of saying. It's like, stay home. You're safer at home. You're safer at home. So it's an interesting it's a difficult situation that a lot of people are in. Yeah.
2: We've
1: been giving workshops as well to uh, on blended Learning. Dr. Elias, who we also work with, and I've been giving workshops. And it's interesting to hear the different contexts that other teachers are in as well, you know, Especially teachers whose kids are not able to access the internet, aren't able to have the same kind of tools, you know, they're going to be able to, they're going to have to rely on mass media. And at the same time, our government has basically crippled the largest mass media outlet in the country, um, which uh, had a channel, the knowledge channel, which was already aligned with DefEt. Right. And so, you know, so... It's really tough for teachers. It's it's tough for everybody across the board, right? But teachers are going to be facing a real challenge uh, just to operate. You know, private schools like like ours don't have as much of an issue. But if you're talking about education, like the education sector, there are going to be real concerns there. And then there's also the mental health of students, right? Right. We have to make sure that somehow students stay motivated, right? At a time when there's incredible joblessness, you know, what's the point of graduating? You know, if there's no point in graduating, then what's the point of going to school at all, right? And so we might end up seeing well, we know that online learning has ridiculous dropout numbers, right? Um, if you've ever taken a Coursera course,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, You know, you you can see like the first Coursera course I took, there were 80,000 people that took it. I think only 1,500 or 2,000 completed it, right? That's that's a dramatic difference. Exactly. It's in the high dropout rate of online courses, particularly free ones, are in the high 90s, high 90%. So our public education situation is free. And if it shifts to, you know, home-based, whether it's online or through mass media, Correspondence type program. I'm worried there's going to be real dropout rates,
2: right?
1: Uh, really higher dropout rates, right? Which is just going to widen the social, economic gaps because those that have the ability to afford technology that can help keep their kids engaged, their kids are going to be able to progress more or less at the same pace uh, as if they were in regular school. And those that can't afford it are going to lose months. Uh, of basic education, which often translates into years of recovery for yeah. missing those that amount of time right based on studies in civil war in Rwanda and stuff like that, so teachers have a lot cut out for them <laughs> so it 's hard to say <laughs> sorry yeah, it 's hard to say exactly what they need yeah. um, sorry i 'd have to say it 's empathy I mean like just be aware of what the student is going through, mm. be aware of what other teachers are going through. Even the government, even if we don't agree with their policies, be aware of what they're going through, you know, and try to still find a way to keep people learning. <laughs> right. It's, yeah.
0: it, it's so funny. I, I guess I came into this conversation with the idea, like a vague idea that we will conclude with this romantic notion of teachers being more important now than 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 it was in a, in, a, in the previous context. But I guess what what we're what we're coming to is that yeah no it's the same. <laughs> we're we're it, it, our ro- the role of teachers is as significant as ever. It's just that it yeah. requires more now. You know it it requires more. I guess it's hard to say because I guess I'm only, I've only been a teacher for 10 years, you know, but I mean, I don't know what it was like to be a teacher during martial law. Uh, It seems like one can assume that things were more positive after the Ezra revolution. So maybe there were some ways it was easier to be a teacher after martial law. And then here we are again, and it's going to be difficult again, but man, it's you, you, we know this being a teacher is always hard.
1: It's always, it's always a challenge it's always hard <laughs> <laughs> it's because you know at the end of the day the thing about being a teacher is that you're always in the moment yeah you can't afford not to be in the moment yeah the minute you're not in the moment with your class yeah you've lost them yeah it's, it's almost right? like you have an. that's one of the best things about teaching to be honest right is that it forces you to be in the moment <laughs> right right absolutely
0: yeah. you, you are it's it's a responsibility it's part of the mandate to be in the moment. It's not just like an extra thing that yes. you need to be good. it's actually part of the job you know yes exactly yeah <laughs> this is it's funny yeah. it's so interesting to me because this is much less romantic uh a conversation than I thought. We might have today and it's it's a Sorry nice. No, it's not your fault. <laughs> but it's it's a nice grounding, and it's in in some ways so refreshing. Uh, like yo, teachers, if any teachers are listening to this besides myself and my wife, <laughs> and you and your wife, <laughs> <Yeah>. my wife <laughs> and and Donna, um, besides us, that yo, it's not. It's in a in a, in a kind of a goofy way. There's not as much reason to despair as you thought, because really it's the same. We're 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 here to to care about the young people we're teaching. And when I say that, we care in that we have to make sure they keep learning. Which yes. is the point. And this is it's just that the world is different, you know, but the your your the job of a teacher remains remains the same.
1: Um, and if you're asking though, you said something about it, the teacher is more important. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I think, I mean, I'm biased, but I think the teachers teachers are very, 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 very important. I and mean, you can't have any other profession without teachers. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. To get you into that profession. I, I'm not trying, I'm not, I just want to make sure that I'm not diminishing the role of the teacher at all. No, of course, right? of course. Yeah. But yeah. The teacher, teachers are in many ways the. The bedrock of a uh, civilized society. Yeah, man,
0: we got we got we got a lot to deal with the <laughs> next. We, you, and I, and and I guess, and our organization and organizations like ours, we have a lot to deal with in the next few months. but yeah. uh But the next few years also seem like exactly seem like there's a it's a tough road ahead. It's just and at so the same fun. time.
1: At the same time, I honestly, oh, it's funny. I was just talking about if you don't mind. I, I was talking to sure, of a group I was giving a workshop to yesterday, and um, it was about blended learning and using digital technologies in education. And I compared it to sort of the innovation that happens during wartime.
2: Mm.
1: Right? So nobody, nobody wants war. <laughs> right? Nobody wants war. Right? Maybe some people who make money off of it right. Right, do, but, but certainly everybody, I'm not, saying, I'm not promoting war, mm. right? But there's a, always, at least throughout the 20th century in particular, but even before that, there's a correlation between wartime and leaps in technological innovation, mm-hmm. right? Which end up um, after World War I suddenly, oh, wow, we can all use um, fuel from, uh, from oil, right? Better, right? And so, so we're, when we're forced to adapt, often very good things come from it and right now we're being forced to adapt using the, these technologies which for the most part have been around for at least 5 years if not longer mm-hmm. right and so now this is going these technologies are going to be adapted at a at a wider base than we ever could have hoped right and i honestly think it's going to lead to better student learning in the long run right more self directed student engagement right students will uh, students will have to be actively engaging with their material. It'll lead to better recording which leads to better statistics, which gives us better information so that we can change our strategies. Right. Yeah, I think, I think it's going to help also in the long run. You think what's going to help? You mean this challenging context? Yeah. Hmm. yeah. I think in the long run this is going to like what we're seeing now is a bit of a dip if you want to look at like learning,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like
1: the trajectory um,
0: of learning in history, you mean?
1: Yeah, if we could like, draw a graph of all knowledge. Right. <laughs> right? That is right. not accumulated and <laughs> created right, over time.
2: Yeah.
1: Right? This kind of digital stuff is going to connect. It's, 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 there's so much opportunity to, to synthesize knowledge, to, to sort of record process again, synthesize because there's so many different sources and also um, communicate. So we're all on these platforms. There's gonna be big data from it. And, and, and that's going to lead to so much more knowledge about the way people learn, you know, I think over time. And then also if our students, you know, somebody as young as my daughter who is 11 becomes comfortable being able to work uh, through video conferencing apps, then maybe that'll lead to more collaborations internationally and you know more research done that way as well who knows but and it doesn't necessarily have to be in the formal education space but i i honestly believe that these tools are going to be maximized more and therefore in the long run it's probably going to be a good thing
0: that's great i think sorry as a as a host of this show i'm grateful that we're we're wrapping up on that note that it's the it's the yeah. This will lead to better things and and good things even that we didn't foresee in the past, um, because I guess the previous note was, yeah, well, it's the same, but it's gonna be hard. But you know, but I guess the the current context shows us that there are things to be hopeful for uh, in the midst yeah. of all the challenges. I'm I'm really grateful uh, to work with you. By the way, I mean, I me too. Yeah, I, thanks. <laughs> I mean, it's uh it's. I was telling Mistina this, our head of school, and uh, that I'm specifically grateful to be working with you in that uh, it's also clear that the hats thing, the changing hats and changing roles thing, and being clear which hat one is wearing at any moment is a thing I learned from you. And it allows me to have a relationship with you where we can be friends. And then also, I'm, you are a person I see as a mentor and I'm soaking up all of these things from you. And also, if you have to wear the boss hat, you can wear the boss hat. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a thing. It's very <laughs> weird. But I, I want to say I'm really grateful for for your time today. Thank you for your friendship in general. Your time, all the time for me, it seems. But uh, for this one too, I'm so glad that you you joined me here today and shared all this stuff. I'm so, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. This is this is how I wanted this conversation to go. So I'm so I'm so glad about it. Thank you.
1: Um, cool. Thank you, Mikey. Can I ask you one Thanks last for question. Inviting me and- Sorry, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it.
0: Thank you. I'm I'm really glad you did. Um, One last question. And although knowing you and knowing how we go, this might end up being a deeper question than I intended. So let's let's imagine a world where there's no debt. Ed, there's no. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, there's no debt. Ed, there's no. There's no government mandate. There's no. There's no uh, economic concerns, and there is just you, and your vision of education and teaching, how would you imagine or Im- how would you envision your dream school? If there are no other parameters to subscribe to or follow besides your own, what do you think a school should be like? On the beach. No, I'm kidding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. right. We'll start Swing there. Swim gear. No, then, um, I think, yeah, be, I, I would love it if it's really... Um, I don't know. That's a hard question, man.
0: Oh, sorry. I so thought so it was like a we... nice, easy one.
1: <laughs> no, sorry. Because oh, so much of the problem with accepting and building is that you're always accepting <laughs> <first>. <laughs> before building. Right.
2: right,
1: right. <laughs> I don't know what the parameters are. <laughs> no. So uh, I don't know. I I I think a great school is one where students are engaged. They're feeling free. They're feeling safe, so that they feel like if they fail. If they make a mistake, that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They they feel accepted. Um, uh, where students and parents and faculty and staff are all working together um, in projects. I love the idea. I mean, I think there should be more and more projects. Um, one of the things that I love that we do it um, together, actually, under you, your guidance is the theater and education program, right? Under your lead. And, you know, having that kind of like a, a school-wide context where there are many different skills and many different opportunities to learn things. And yes, we know what some of them are, but there's so much as well open to things that will come up. You know what I mean? Right. (laughs) It's such a, it's a context for such rich learning. Right. Um, And so things like that. And then afterwards, Mm -hmm. you deliver assessments just to capture (laughs) that some learning is in fact taking place. Right. But Um, But that's sort of secondary, right? In fact, now that that you got me thinking, man, (laughs) wouldn't it be great if if the whole spirit of play and learning and play was really what drove everything? It was all about creating things together and making things happen. But everything is, is recorded, so you have the evidence of learning taking place there. Right. That would be
0: awesome, right? And then it, and then there are going to be teachers who just do the play and the learning, and then there will be assessors who, who all they're doing the assessing, and we don't have to do any <laughs> assessing. Yeah, we I can just them. keep playing. That would be great. That would be, <laughs> great. <laughs> be great. Like assessing should just be not part of this. That would be... Yeah, that sounds like the dream. <laughs> that would be great. That sounds like the dream. <laughs> That's the dream. <laughs> that would be really the right. dream. Yeah, maybe one day. Maybe one day. David thank you so much thank you so much thank for this. You, Mikey. I'm so so thrilled about it uh, please give cool. my best to, uh, to Donna and to Carmen
1: yeah my best to Char and Max as well I will and uh... thanks for having me I really appreciated having the opportunity to chat and um, it's funny that anybody wants to listen to my thoughts on ed- on education but I appreciate it so thank you very much of course thank yeah. you so much I will I guess I'll talk to you soon I'll
0: talk to you pretty soon cool so, yeah, I'll see you then yep. take care girl
1: For listening to this week's episode of the Hurry of the Cakes podcast, show notes can be found on www.hurryofthecakes.net. We would like to thank Bia Joe's Crunchy Chili, online secondhand children's booksellers, and Chunky Bear Manila Cookies for making us happy this week. This podcast is hosted by Mikey Lurin, published and distributed via Anchor.fm. Special thanks to Mikey and Max for the theme music, and special thanks to Pit X and JL Brock for this outro instrumental. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are downloaded or streamed. The Hurry of the Cakes podcast is a Squishy Days production. Squishy Days
2: production for Hamilton and Conan O'Brien.